Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 69 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Breezy, a cloud-based printing solution that makes it easy to print anything from any mobile device to any printer. Find out more at Breezy.com. Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. Carbonite Business, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Business backs up your files automatically and continually, so you're always protected. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code REPORT. And firm manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. In our last podcast, we tried to answer the question, can software really replace lawyers? Assuming that software hasn't already replaced lawyers, this week we thought we'd look at technology that seems to have sneaked up on many lawyers. Tom, what's our agenda for this episode? Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be talking about how lawyers can and are using video technology in their practice. In our second segment, we'll revisit our last episode on software replacing lawyers and and talk about how you can participate in our upcoming all audience questions episode. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, lawyers and video. We uh, decided to cover this topic following a lunch conversation that Dennis and I had at a uh, at the recent ABA Legal Marketing Strategies Conference, which was a really a really great conference. Uh, one of the bigger parts of the conference was an afternoon talking about video marketing, and we got to see a lot of examples submitted by lawyers and law firms. Dennis, what uh, what did you learn at the conference that made you want to talk about the topic of video in this episode of the podcast? Well, what I enjoyed at the conference were a couple of things that really pointed to us. And, and so one was a, a presentation by Dan Hill talking about emotions and lie spotting and facial coding and those things and the implications they have, uh, uh, especially on, on video and, and advertising. That was really interesting. And then we saw uh, the a bunch of videos that won awards. So there was a contest sort of for best videos. And I think they had over a hundred uh, law firms and legal organizations submit videos. We saw the best of of those, the ones that won prizes. And and so there were short form and there were longer forms. And uh, there was a great one uh, from, uh, I believe it was Utah Law School talk uh, that showed some of the things they were doing with their students and, and simulations uh, that was really compelling in a sort of five minute format. I like that. But part of the thing that made me want to talk about this topic, Tom, was we were sitting at lunch uh, with somebody who was involved in, in video production. We started talking about uh, sort of the the how-tos and, and how things are done with video and how effective they, they are and, and whether you want to use a, a professional videographer or, or do it on your own. And, and I just find that really interesting because it does seem like we're moving into a different era where um, – 
you know, the video is all over the place. I, and also the other thing that made me want to talk about it was when I arrived back home, when we landed on the air, uh, you know, uh, at the airport, uh, everybody turned on their cell phones and uh, two women in front of me were talking about, uh, were, were saying, did you get the dancing zebra video yet? And so there's a, that video seemed to be everywhere. So it, it, it does make sense to say, well, is this really, a, you know, the next technology that lawyers will start to use, uh, at least for marketing and maybe for some other things? Well, you know, I think that uh, that you had you had mentioned uh, to me that that forty eight hours of video is added to YouTube every minute, uh, and and that we're seeing children in school who are making probably higher quality videos than I can even get to, and I think that it's very hard to deny that video is really where um, where technology is taking us, and and by by showing the fact that we had a hundred submissions of of videos with law firms wanting to show off what they can do in terms terms of, of video production quality and, and and combine that with the fact that you've got people that when a, a video goes viral, everybody wants to see it. Everybody's talking about it. I think it really speaks to the medium and, and, and shows that, that a, a, a video is something that unlike a podcast, unfortunately, unlike a web page, really can convey a lot more uh, in in the same amount of time that uh, that you might be getting from other other sources. And I, I know when I was uh, working at, in litigation support for my firm in trial, uh, we always tried to show videos when uh, when possible. It was always a lot more effective to show a video of a deposition or of an example of uh, you know a, a, a tour of an accident site or or some other video it conveyed so much more so much faster than it could if we had a witness up on the stand trying to describe things. It just was so much more effective. Um, before we kind of plunge into the ideas of, uh, of, of how how to make videos and, and, and the marketing benefits of videos, Dennis, are there any non-marketing uses of videos that, that you want to share that we, we should talk about before we get to the next part? Well, you, you touched on one that goes back a long way for me. I remember once when I was uh, clerking at uh, court here in St. Louis and, and we had a, and, and you'll know this time because you, you're involved in litigation, but they used to do this, this thing and maybe they still do it where you would uh, bring a, a young associate, put them on the stand and have them read transcripts yes. of another witness. <laughs> oh my God, it was so boring. boring. And, and I remember talking to, to lawyers after that and you know, this was you know, whatever, 25 years ago or whatever. And I said, uh, you know, if, if you just even shot a video of that same associate reading that, it would probably be more interesting to a jury if they could watch it on a, t- on a TV. Yeah. So, so I think there's that. People have done some experiments with video wills. And one of my uh, former partners at, at, at one of my old law firms had this idea that we should uh, we should have somebody when they're making their will just sort of in front of a video camera explain in, in plain language what they wanted. You know, I, I want my kids to get this. I want this to happen. And then the lawyer would then come on the screen and sort of say in, in the precise legal language, you know, what, what 
what the uh, what the client wanted to do, and, and and then the whole video would be the will, which is kind of a funny idea. But but I think that there are some things out there where um, it it does make sense, and I think there is you know from if you go back to Steve Jobs, who I think uh, and Bill Gates and some of the the those leading technology presenters are always putting a video into their in, into their presentations, and and you see more of that. So I, I think I think there are just a, a a lot of interesting potential uses, and then and then I, I've always felt sort of reusable presentations. So again, to go back to the estate planning era area, if you could do a, a short video that explained the estate tax law, or you know the advantages of or the difficulties of probate, or, or you know something like that, that that could potentially be useful. Um, what I learned though, I think from from this conference um, is it is that the real interesting. St- things may be going on in the marketing area. And uh, the Dan Hill presentation about facial coding just just really hit home for me on how quickly we make decisions, the impact that video can have, how quickly uh, we sort of react to something and make a, a quick decision about it just from uh, reading the faces or the, you know, the, the quality of the video or the, the analogies you use, the, the different uh, illustrations you use. Um, and that was really fascinating. It gave me a, a lot to think about. Um, so I don't know, Tom. Do you think uh, so? Hundred videos submitted for a contest is pretty good, and there seemed to be a lot of a lot of interest. Do do we have any ad- advice for people wanting uh, for lawyers wanting to jump into video? You know, a minute ago when you you mentioned that a, a, a non marketing use, or, or at least you, you, it was it was while you were talking about un- other non marketing uses, was was being able to have a lawyer go and and discuss discuss, you know, the finer points of estate planning or things like that. And I would make the argument that that is a marketing use. I um, had the had the pleasure of uh, attending and speaking at the North Carolina Bar Association Solo and Small Firm Conference this past week. And one of the sessions during that, uh, that conference was by Damon Duncan and Brian Miller, and they gave a great presentation on this very subject, on creating videos for lawyers. And um, they, they went through and, I, and I've added a couple here. Uh, they, they went through some of the things that lawyers can do to uh, to 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 put themselves into video and and not have it uh, be the uh, sort of ingratiating commercial that you happen to see. Uh, you know, just answering questions that your clients ask. I'm sure that you get lots of clients. People get lawyers get lots of questions from clients who uh, uh, who they have never really answered in a way that. Uh, that 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 their clients and others and other people can see what's going on. I typically I see people do this by putting them into blog posts, but why not shoot them as a video and answer that question very quickly? Uh, is is there a benefit on your law firm webpage to uh, shooting quick videos about the the history of your firm or? testimonials from clients. Now, you obviously will have to follow the ethical rules to to deal with uh, with, with that issue. Um, both Damon and Brian were suggesting uh, interactive videos. There's a way to set up videos on YouTube 
um, so that uh, it can lead a viewer through a series of videos. So when you watch a video and then it asks you a question, the viewer will answer the question. It will take you to another video, depending on whatever your answer was to that question. Um, Another way to use video would be to have a screencast. So it wouldn't be necessarily a video of you in person. It would be a video of you demonstrating something. For example, if you're a tax lawyer or, 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 or another type of lawyer whose clients use a lot of tax forms, you could give a demonstration on how to go on the IRS website and, and download specific tax forms. Or if um, you wanted your clients to to go and get request a credit report, you could do a screencast on how to do that. So there are a number of different ways that, that you can provide value in a video to clients, to um, potential clients, to referral sources that don't come across as pure marketing. Dennis, any ideas you've got in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I think there's that sense of the the demo thing is really interesting. And again, this is another one of my old ideas that, you know, that there may be rules and other things why people don't do this. But I always felt, especially if you were an appellate lawyer, that the idea of getting a video of maybe, you know, a few minutes of, of you making a compelling argument yeah. would be really Definitely. useful to, to a client who's trying to say, well, who do I want to present my appeal or who do I want to do my trial? And so... Uh, to the extent you can do, you can highlight some of that. I know there's this, you know, this whole reservation lawyers have, and and probably led, it seems, by the the U.S. Supreme Court on on this hesitation about about video and and allowing video and nervousness about you know televised trials and stuff. But but I, I sort of put that aside and say, well, can I use video to to demo uh, what I'm doing and the sorts of things that that a client might like, uh, you know, might want to know about in in terms of, of hiring a lawyer so they will get a sense are you friendly um, you know what's your what's your presentation style that that sort of thing and and I think that could be really really uh, interesting for people um, in it, it is a it, it's marketing but it's not marketing because it's more of a, more of a, a demo sense and I know Tom we have you and I have done some some video, and and I find it really useful when people say, "I'm thinking about uh, having you as a speaker." You can just point them to that video, so that that demo sense of things. But I also think that for people, uh, that, that there's an, another step that you take when you're when you're doing marketing, where uh, your model is more. Um, like a commercial, right. like a short video, right. that sort of thing, where you need to put a, a lot more effort into it. And, um, you know, Tom, we did, we had the, the video that we did for Legal Talk Network at uh, ABA Tech Show a couple years ago is an example of where there's no way you and I would have done that ourselves, but we had a professional crew help us. And, and, and I think that's the only way it got done. And I think the quality is great because of that. Although sort of my most memorable moment for that is I, and I know you will know is how we wound it up and I, and I blew the last, the very last line or like almost the last half of the last sentence. And we had to reshoot a whole, a, a whole segment. Um, but that's great because with the professional crew there, it's just a matter of being able to say, okay, well, let's do another take. You can also do things. We just had one camera, but it becomes possible to have multiple views and and I I did uh, I I'll, I'll, I'll let you react to that time and then I want to I want to come back and talk about the the YouTube video that I that I shot of myself as as sort of the counter example but uh, what's your what's your reaction to to uh, we had the professional experience have you ever done anything any video on your own 
I haven't. I don't, well, I don't think I, I know. I don't think I've done any video on my own, uh, knowingly or willingly. I, uh, I, 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 for, for that exact reason is I just don't feel like I can do the justice to a video the, the, to, to, to come away with the quality that I think is necessary, uh, to, to be able to post and show to people. And I, and I think that, that there are, are a number of good reasons and my goodness knows you can go on YouTube and find, dozens and dozens of commercials by lawyers who've shot them themselves and 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 the benefits to shooting it yourself are are pretty clear i mean you're going to save money yeah, for the most part uh, it's it's probably going to be cheaper to do that you have control you control the whole thing and it's convenient you you can do uh, you can do it whenever you want to and and do it on your own schedule and and again you've got the control over things so it's 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 a lot easier than having to deal with an outside vendor but you know, when you consider what the what I think the the cons are to doing it yourself, the fact that it's not easy. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to the whole thing, and we'll talk about those moving parts in just a second in terms of the technology you have to use. Um, the cost of the equipment. When I said it's you can save money, you're going to save money on on the videographers, but you're not going to save money on the equipment because the cost of buying all those different pieces will obviously add up. It does take time. Uh, it it takes time away from your uh, from your your billable hours, things that you could be uh, actually billing clients for. You're now winding up setting up video equipment and editing and uh, making sure that it looks right. But I think really the most important thing and the biggest reason. Reason why I don't do videos is uh, is that you can tell that I did it. You can tell that uh, that I did it myself, and and it just won't have the standard that I would be looking for to show to clients or to somebody that I wanted to market myself to. Is that is that how you felt when you did your video, or what was what happened when when you recorded that? Yeah, I, I mean, I sort of think I there's you know sort of two things. So so one is can you do sort of like a talking head video or you know a really simple video that, that shows something versus, you know, kind of doing your own, say, commercial or, or video short, and which I think are, you know, that's something that's much more scripted and maybe has scenes and, you know, has, has different cuts and, you know, things placed into it, which are, you know, takes you up to a, to a different level. So I was uh, asked to, I was interviewed for a story in, in Missouri Lawyers Weekly about uh, ethical issues of lawyers using video, and this was several years ago, and they had this great idea to uh, for the illustration in the article to do like the YouTube, uh, the little YouTube in bed, you know, that has a little play arrow on it and then put my picture in it in it. And so uh, I thought, well, why don't I just shoot a, a YouTube video and then they can can use that and I'll do a, you know, the, the YouTube video, I'll talk about, you know, the ethics of lawyers using video. And then, I, so I volunteered to do that. And then and as I was driving home and thinking I was going to do it that evening, I was like, oh wait, should I use the video camera? Should I use a webcam and my laptop? Should I use the, the Mac? Should I use the Windows? You know, and and should I use the, my cell phone? What's the best way to do that? Then I spent um, really and truly over an hour trying to get the lighting so it was even moderately uh, acceptable to me, uh, which I think people always underestimate the lighting and, and then you're like, what color of shirt you wear, what yep. background, all that sort of stuff. And so... 
there's about maybe a two minute video you can find of me on YouTube where I'm talking about you know ethics of using video, and it took a couple hours to shoot. It was really easy to upload to to YouTube, so so that aspect was really easy. But I just find myself saying, "Geez, I for, that's for something simple, um, you know." And I've done webcam interviews that are also posted up on 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 YouTube, and those are fine for what they are. But I think if you're doing something where you really want to have a, a big audience and you want to market your firm, I, I think you do want to say, I want to have great production values. I want to have a well-written script. I want to have something that looks like what I see on TV, you know, with cuts and different camera views and maybe some graphics inserted. And as I learned from the Dan Hill presentation, you, I also want to have a story. I want to have a likable character, um, you know, and all those sorts of things. And you can do some really little things as you're presenting just because you're trying to, you know, because you don't want to do t 10 takes. You've already done two and you're tired. And then you have a funny look on your face or something. And then the video gets viewed by a lot of people. Not necessarily it'll go viral, but they go because they're making fun of the way you look or, you know, the <laughs> shadows on your face. And and there are there are people who review lawyer videos. So um, who can be pretty harsh. So and deservedly so. So I, I think the, you know, doing it on your own is 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 really tricky. Although I, I think you can get pretty good quality for that sort of, you know, uh, seeing me in action, you might capture something live that actually works. But I, I you know, doing a podcast is, is hard enough in editing, but I think doing video editing, editing, you're in a completely different world. I mean, second graders are definitely doing professional quality video, but uh, I think probably the second graders are going to be way ahead of most lawyers on actually, you know, comfort <laughs> with using video and the editing tools. Well, and that's... I mean, I mean, that, that's where it comes down to me is is there are we can't possibly get around to the types of technologies that um, you would need to pull off a high quality video uh, video. But but let's let's try. I mean, let's let's talk about the general categories. I think that that you're going to need, obviously, a camera. You're going to need uh, something that, that you're going to have to deal with the sound. You're going to have to deal with your lighting. And then at the end of it, you're going to have to deal with the editing. Uh, there are a couple of different ways to think about video. Obviously, a high-definition camera is probably going to be your best option in terms of the, the quality. But uh, there are some digital cameras that have movie capabilities. Your iPhone, your smartphone probably has digital capabilities, although that's heading down to the lower end of the spectrum and something that we probably aren't going to recommend. Um, the, the one thing in, in, in paying attention to the presentation I saw in North Carolina this week, the one thing that almost convinced me I'm never going to shoot a video myself is just talking about the lighting. They, you know, it's, I, it's easy to understand you want to avoid fluorescent lighting. But when they start talking about something called three-point lighting, that's where I just thought, wow, I could never, ever get that. Three-point lighting is, is using three separate positions or, or lighting in three different positions so that you can put one light on the speaker and then use the other two lights to either control or eliminate any shadows that are there, I could never, ever get to that point. That's where I 
put down, I mean, pick up the phone and, and, and call a vendor. But, but after your evening, after you get to that, let's assume you get through the lighting, you get through the video, you have a tripod that can hold your video and you've shot it. You've then got to get into the editing. And, and I use some editing software, uh, three or four years ago in my law firm. And I'm sure that that software is not at the, at the top of the list of most people who are editing. Some of the tools that I've seen that people use and recommend and, and that some of the magazines recommend for video editing are include obviously Apple's iMovie, if you're a Mac person. Um, Adobe Premiere Elements is still a good tool. Uh, Corel has a video studio product that is well regarded by PC Magazine. Um, and then the one that I think that PC Magazine liked the most is a program called Cyberlink Power Director. Uh, so those are some of the video editing tools that if you they're, they're more home based, they're not full featured. So you're probably not going to pay more than maybe three hundred dollars total for for the software in any one of those. But uh, but they all have good video editing capabilities. Um, Dennis, any other technology things before we move on to some tips and tricks for doing videos? Well, I, I, I take you, I take you right. And, and when you think about, uh, if you're hiring a professional, they might be using Final Cut or one of these software programs that they use right. to make, to make Hollywood movies just as, uh, you know, par for the course of, of just what you've hired them to, to do. The other thing I would mention is the teleprompter technology. Uh, you know, so simple teleprompter. Cause if you look at my YouTube video, I had to, I taped, literally taped pieces of paper with the script I was using to the screen of my laptop because I used the the webcam and people still noticed that my eyes were moving a little bit to the side as you know as I finished uh, you know finished that that video so so there are definitely going to be things like that but yet the lighting piece is is just really significant and then the this the sound quality I, I've I've heard people criticize a number of lawyer videos where there's just you know they'll pick up noises they'll pick up wind noises if they try to shoot outside so a, a lot of things a lot of things like that um i, I still think that uh you know you gotta you gotta you know walk before you run in a way but i, I think that i i still might play around on my own you know trying some things with the webcams and the, the equipment that i had and and fussing with it to at least get a rough draft of something you know before i brought in the pros uh to say hey here's what i have in mind and and then i would still want to to really understand you know the, the notions of story how to highlight certain points how to get that across um you know what happens if i do a video Video where everything is great and I have a group of people and one of them isn't smiling and <laughs> and that that causes a negative reaction to to audience so you can do things like sort of the equivalent of usability but you can do this testing where people will say oh I, I reacted negatively to that and you can do it sort of second by second and see how people are reacting to things so if, if you're really doing an important video um, there's a lot of things you can do and, and the idea of sort of winging it on your own just seems a little bit ludicrous and you know, where the stakes are high. You know, I really think that's a good tip. Let me uh, close out with some of my favorite tips, four or five of my favorite tips. If you're going to do videos, whether you're going to do them or have somebody else do them, um, I really think that having your own YouTube channel, your own YouTube site is a good idea. I've mentioned before in this podcast and in other places that uh, I, I've repeated what Chris Brogan, the author of Trust Agents, talks about in, in the importance of having outposts, places that will, will drive people back to your website or to your blog. And I think that YouTube is one of those great outposts that can have and house that content. It's ready-made to hold video content, uh, so you don't have to 
hold it at your website. You may also want to embed those videos into your blog or into your website. The good news is you can you can have YouTube store those videos and then embed the the the, the link to the video into your website so people can view them on your site. But it's still being held by uh, by YouTube. We'll post some links in the show notes on how to get that done for your website. But some other tips that I think uh, I think keeping a video short is a good idea. I, I think people's attention span on the internet is really short. You want to keep the videos, uh, you know, no more than maybe one to three minutes to get a, a very short point across. It may take longer, maybe five minutes if you have some technical information that you want to provide. Um, I think that you're tagging videos correctly on YouTube and you're sharing them if you want to make sure people hear them. You want to, to, to make sure that they're picked up by Google and the search engines and you want to share them through Twitter, through Facebook, LinkedIn. You want to make sure that even though you're posting them on YouTube, they're getting noticed or they're, they, there is awareness of those videos in other places. Um, if you're posting and recording video on topics that have a short shelf life, make sure you're pruning them. I mean, nobody likes to go to a YouTube channel where things are are dated and old and out of date. So every so often go in and, and prune out what, what may be a little bit out of date. Uh, and then finally, measure your results. You know, you can see the number of people who are watching your videos. YouTube has built-in tools for that. If you, you can see who's clicking through on, on your blog to figure out who's watching things, and it's going to help you see which videos are most popular that will allow you to decide what are the topics I need to cover most in future videos. Keep track, see what people like, and that's going to guide your future videos and what and the types of things that you're going to talk about later. Dennis, any tips to carry us out of this segment? Yeah, I, it's interesting. There's a there's a new book out that's talking that's uh, talking about the history of MTV, and as we know with MTV, you know, uh, video killed the radio star, yeah. and and I, you know, so so I. I think that you have this new generation, and it is it, it is really interesting how kids these days are using video. My daughter, you know, five years ago when she was in the eighth grade, I remember her saying that she had three movies to finish, you know, at the end of her eighth grade year. So the audience is changing. There's this as expectation, as Tom says, you know, there's a lot of people like these short videos they pass around. And then on the flip side, also with infomercials and commercials, there's a ton of science and thought that's been done on these things to make them more effective. So um, I think it's this great new era for, for lawyers to be pioneers. There's a, you know, there's obviously a lot that can go wrong, but I just think that I, I have a hard time pointing to lawyers who are doing really great things other than I think some of these videos I saw that were award winners were, were, were exceptionally good. But I, th- I think it offers an opportunity for the right people, the right firm, the right lawyers um, who want to experiment with video to kind of really create a name for themselves in an area where lawyers haven't really gone yet. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors, Breezy, Clio, Carbonite Business, and Firm Manager by LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, 
there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Backing up your business files can be a hassle, and it's hard to know if you're doing it right. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Business Online Backup. With Carbonite Business, your files are backed up automatically and continually. They're stored safely off-site, and each employee can access their backed up files privately on any computer or on their smartphone or iPad. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code REPORT. That's Carbonite.com. Offer code REPORT. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution... LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com LTN. Ever wondered why you can't print from your BlackBerry, iPhone, or iPad? Now, with Breezy, you can Download Breezy from the App Store or visit breezy.com slash legal talk to learn more. Breezy lets you print or fax anything from any device to any printer or fax machine. Backed by ironclad security, Breezy saves you and your staff significant time. Available on BlackBerry iPhone and iPad and coming to Android in November. Secure mobile printing. It's easy with Breezy. Go to breezy.com. That's B-R-E-E-Z-Y dot com slash legal talk now. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we revisit and follow up on last week's episode about whether Watson, Siri, and other developments point toward a day when software or machines might actually replace lawyers. Tom, you didn't expect to see that happen for quite a few more years. Seen anything lately that changes your mind? Well, you know, I, what I want to do is I want to point our listeners to an article that came out recently in the Richmond Journal of Law and Technology that, that I'm in the process of reading now. It's called Technology Assisted Review in eDiscovery Can Be More Effective and More Efficient Than Exhaustive Manual Review. It's it's uh, uh, written by attorney Maura Grossman and 
Professor Gordon Cormack, and they're making the argument that predictive coding technology is really the way of the future. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but if you're interested in learning more, uh, the authors really know what they're talking about. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think the interesting news around Siri is the thought, uh, and, and, and the, the, when I say Siri, I mean the, the new tool by Apple. We talked about it in the last podcast, and, and since we've recorded it, I, I've listened to a, a bunch of people talk about the idea that this new voice-controlled assistant from Apple could actually replace Google, or at least make Google less relevant. I, I read, and I'll put a link to the show note, about a very small study, and when I say small, it was only 40 people, so it's clearly unscientific, but, but they were all Siri users, and 100% of them uh, were reporting that they see no need to do a Google search if Siri can answer their question. Um, 68% of those people, of the 40, had not done a single Google search since they started using Siri, and the rest of them reported that their use of Google was down 80% since Siri came into their life. I, Dennis, I, I think maybe we should have titled our last show The Death of Search Engines uh, or something like that. Do you think that search engines are in danger from tools like Siri, or, or did you get something else that's, that's happened since our last episode? No, I, I mean, I think the Siri developments are interesting. I think that Wolfram Alpha, which we talked about last week, and we talked about, I, I think, a couple of years ago, even, which the idea of, of saying we're not so much anymore wanting to have lists of things that might be, that might give us an answer to the question we want and go to it. We're actually looking for the answer to our question. And something like Wolfram Alpha or, or Siri can do that. That becomes really, you know, really interesting to us. I also want to point to an article. It's a, uh, a little bit long, as we like to say these days. I've printed it out at six pages, but it's called Watson. It's elementary uh, by someone named Gabriel Harp, H-A-R-P, on the Future Now blog. And we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes where he talks about uh, the IBM Watson and some of its implications. And uh, people probably remember Watson was appeared on Jeopardy and won. Um, and, but it goes through some of the things that we talked about. And he focused a lot on the medical profession. And, and what tools like Watson can do in terms of diagnostics and how that works and how there'll be a change in the type, you know, in that in the medical profession um, to some things I talked about, well, what makes sense for machines to do and what still makes sense for humans to do? And can humans move up to a higher level of, of of what they do uh, and then let the machines do the detailed stuff, you know, reading x-rays, some of these repetitive things. And and so this article is really intriguing on that. And then on another Jeopardy-related note, um, I guess recently someone set the record for the most money earned in one episode on Jeopardy, and they used this sort of... Uh, kind of souped up flashcard uh, software uh, technology tool and uh, called Anki, A-N-K-I. And that's also really intriguing. It's another way to say, can we can we use some of these tools as a way to learn faster, retain more? And, and that's a sort of sense of Siri. And Siri is a virtual assistant, uh, you know, a mechanical virtual assistant. Can we offload things that that does better? And then can we also at the same time use, use other technology to help us do what we do better? You know, learn more, learn faster, 
remember more, that sort of thing. So um, I think there's a couple of developments out there. I, you know, I, I still think we're a ways away from something like replacing people, but um, I would look at predictive coding and some of the other things going on as saying this could really give us a hint of what the future of the law practice will be like. No, I agree. I am, um, I, and I think that tools like predictive coding are going the way that you describe that 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 are designed to take over and do something that uh, that maybe we won't have to do in the future. But when we talk about tools like Siri, I think the purpose of Siri is to save us time from having to use a search engine like Google. But but I, I think that that Siri might very well replace search engines for certain types of questions. I mean, specifically questions that have a single or a best answer. Google's never been a go-to source for finding the best, you know, locksmith in your area or the best sushi restaurants uh, wherever you happen to be. Um, and I think that tools like Siri are going to fill that niche nicely. But but I think Google's not going away anytime soon because it, as a search research tool, I mean, there are some elements that humans still need to pour over and, and understand and be able to figure out what are the best research resources that they can find. And I think that in that regard, Google still has Siri beat, hands down. And now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. You know, when I wrote this parting shot, I, I didn't, I can't remember if I've actually mentioned this before. Whether I've mentioned this before or not, I apologize, but it's 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 an important one. I work with a lot of clients who have, as part of their security, the multi-factor uh, authentication, where first you have to log in with a username and password, and then you have to use a token. And there'll be some sort of little key fob that people have that generate an automatic uh, electronic token that they can enter in. And that's their their two-factor authentication. And um, if you use Google, uh, you don't really, and at least until now, you haven't really had that ability to do that. But uh, Google has had multi-factor authentication for a while now, and, and I was reminded of it by the fact that they've now extended it to my favorite password holder, LastPass. But I encourage you to go and sign up for, uh, for Google's multi-factor authentication. It'll require you to put a password in, and then it will give you a, a a program to download on your iDevice, on your iPhone, uh, so that you can then generate a token for, uh, for every time that you need to log into a Google property. Uh, it will ask you to, to, to type in that token and give you an extra layer of security, a good way to uh, increase security if you are a Google user. Dennis. You know, Tom, authentication is one of those fascinating topics that we could do a whole podcast on, even though we'd probably have nobody listen to it. But it's <laughs> it's there's there's a lot of important things happening in that area. What I want to mention is something that's been out for for a while, but it's, it recently got a, a new interface, and it's the the LinkedIn mobile app. And I think this is part of a trend of of apps for services that we use online, uh, magazines, newspapers, all those sorts of things. Everybody having an app. And in the case of the LinkedIn app, I just think it's really well designed and um, easy to use. And you can, you know, see all the stuff that you want to see, look at the invitations you get, respond to them quickly. You don't have to log, you know, go back to the web page and log in again, uh, see what's going on in your groups, in, in your, you know, your stream of updates, all really easy to get right, right from your iPhone or, or other other smartphones. So I think it's a it's it's not only a great app in itself 
in, in, and it helps make LinkedIn a lot more usable um, and and sort of at your fingertips. But it's, I think it's a sign of, of that movement toward apps as becoming uh, more uh, more significant in the way that we experience even online services. And so you may find that you you don't go back to pages like LinkedIn or Facebook. You're mainly going through the app. And I think it's a it's a really interesting development and and uh, a good place to kind of get a sense of where those those app developments might be taking us. And I use the LinkedIn app all the time. It's really a, a nice update. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or on iTunes. In the upcoming episode, we're going to feature an all-listener request question and answer session. So if you have questions or suggestions to for things that we should address during that episode, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at, at tkmreport, or even send us a video if you like. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Subscribe to this podcast and don't let video kill the podcast star. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.